Amen. If you have a Bible, open to Philippians chapter 4. It's been a joy already to, to worship with you today and to set our hearts on the goodness of Jesus and the gospel. And so in Philippians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 4 through 7. We're coming close to the end of our series through Philippians. Uh, we had verses 2 and 3 connected to a sermon earlier, and so we're going to jump on over to verses 4 through 7 today and ask the Lord to help us as we seek to set our hearts on Jesus today. So this is the word of God, and here's what he says to us today. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds, in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, God. We pray that you would help us to see a picture of who Christ is, what he's done for us, how he relates to us, what, what he's doing now in your midst and in our midst, God. We pray that you would open our hearts to see the joy of Jesus, to see the gentleness of Jesus, to see the peace that we can have in Christ. And so, God, our hearts are weary at times. Our hearts are a mess. Our hearts can be all over the place, God. And so help them to be set on Jesus today. In his name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had your heart set on something? So it was my birthday a few years ago, and, and I had my heart set on something special. One of my favorite bands was releasing a live concert film in theaters for one night only. That might sound weird to you, but I love music, I love concert films, I love going to the movies, and so it was going to be a great night, a great birthday. So Jeannie and I got mom to watch the boys, we drove down to Nashville, we ate dinner, we got to the theater for the 7 o'clock show, and I was excited. I mean, my heart was filled with joy to get to see this film. I, I mean, I wasn't grumpy or grouchy all day long because I was so excited. My heart was filled with peace and with thanksgiving. I mean, I was just so excited until they told us something went wrong with the film. They got it in the wrong format, and they were working on fixing it, and if we wanted to wait around until about 11.30, they said that's when they would be showing the movie. I mean, I, my heart exploded. I was devastated. All that joy was gone in, in just a minute. I suddenly was anything but gentle. And, and that peace like a river turned into a raging sea of frustration in my heart. You've probably experienced that feeling before too, haven't you? Maybe you didn't get that job that you really, really wanted. Maybe that girl at the BCM said no to a date that you really, really wanted. Maybe your marriage isn't as good as you wanted. Maybe your future didn't turn out like you thought. Maybe your life is not as happy as you thought you would be. We, we all know what it's like to have our hearts set 
on something and not get it. And I think we all know the struggle of having our hearts set on the wrong things too, don't we? I mean, sometimes our hearts just want the wrong things. That relationship that doesn't honor Jesus or those pills that we think is going to numb the pain or that praise from others that we think we desperately need, those images on our phone that we think will bring us pleasure, our hearts sometimes can want the wrong things. But the good news today is that God's word is calling us to set our hearts on someone who will never disappoint us. You see, Paul is coming to the end of this letter to the Philippians, and he's giving us some final commands. But he's not just doing this so we can have some rules to follow. Paul wants us to set our very hearts on Jesus. And so it's my prayer today that as we come to God's word, we would do that. We would set our hearts on Jesus. And so I want us to see what it looks like, what it does to our hearts when they are set on Christ. You see, hearts that are set on Jesus, first of all, are hearts full of joy. When we set our hearts on Jesus, they are hearts full of joy. So Paul gives us the first of this list of three commands here in our passage. Listen to it again in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Notice how that's a command to us. Paul gives us this command twice in this verse. Really, this is the fourth time in this letter he's commanded us to be joyful. You see, rejoicing for the Christian, it's not optional. It's not just a suggestion. We're commanded to rejoice. And it's also not about personality. He's not saying it's about your Enneagram number. No, we're commanded to rejoice. And notice in verse 4 that we're commanded to rejoice always. Paul doesn't say rejoice some of the time. Or rejoice most of the time. He doesn't say rejoice when things are going your way or when things are easy. No, he says rejoice always. Rejoice in the highs and in the lows. Rejoice in the good times and in the bad. Rejoice in success and also in suffering. Rejoice in victory and rejoice in defeat. See, it's easy to be joyful when things are going well, but when they're not, it's hard. And so God is after our joy, and so he commands us to rejoice always. But notice in verse 4 how we can rejoice always. You see, it's one thing to be commanded to rejoice. It's another thing to actually do it. So how do we do it? How do we rejoice always? Especially when life can be hard, when life can be painful, how do we do it. Well, Paul tells us there in verse 4. Do you see it? He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Jesus. That's how we can rejoice always in the good and in the bad. You see, we can rejoice always, not because things are always good, but because Jesus is always good. You know, Paul knows that life is not easy, He knows that it's not always good. He suffered a lot as an apostle for Jesus. I mean, he described his ministry as this, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Hey, Paul, what's your ministry like? Well, it's really sad, but I'm always rejoicing in Jesus. See, Paul is not giving us a verse here to put on a coffee mug or for your granny to crochet for you. 
Paul is throwing us a life preserver when we're drowning in the sorrow of life. And that life preserver is Jesus. If you have Jesus, you can always rejoice no matter what comes your way. I mean, if you have Jesus, you can rejoice in the sorrow of infertility or miscarriage. If you have Jesus, you can rejoice in the sorrow of children who have turned away. If you, can, if you have Jesus, you can rejoice in the sorrow of friendships that have fallen apart. If you have Jesus, you can rejoice even in the midst of churches who have hurt you. If you have Jesus, you can rejoice even when you've lost a parent or lost a child. Paul is not saying, hey, those things are not bad. Instead, he's saying, yes, those things are very bad. But Jesus is very good. His love is very good. His mercies are very good. His grace is very good. His kindness towards us is very good. You see, we don't rejoice because life is good. We rejoice because Jesus is good. And when we set our hearts on Jesus, that's when our hearts can be full of joy. There was a missionary named Joy Ritterhoff, and she was a missionary in Honduras. Her name was very fitting. She spent most of her ministry wandering through the jungles of Honduras looking for villages of people to share the gospel with. And she would often say that suffering is good rejoicing practice. Anything difficult that would come, she would say, oh, this is good rejoicing practice. She got lost on one occasion in the jungle. And her response was, oh, that was good rejoicing practice. One time she lost all of her equipment and all of her belongings. She said this was good rejoicing practice. She got malaria and it was so bad that she had to come back to the United States and finish her ministry. And she said that was good rejoicing practice. I mean, do you look at the struggles of life like that? Good rejoicing practice? Or do you complain and get angry or frustrated with God? Do you give over to despair? Do you doubt the love of Jesus in your life? Friends, God is calling us to rejoice in Jesus always. And no matter what happens, all that pain and suffering and all the sorrow, they're just good rejoicing practice. So what can we do then to have hearts that are full of joy in Jesus? It's one thing that it's a pretty verse in the Bible. How does it actually take root in our lives? Well, here's three ways that we can have hearts full of Jesus. First, get rid of Jesus imposters in your heart. It's going to be hard to have hearts full of joy in Jesus when our hearts are full of joy in other things. So money can have our hearts. Good food and good drink can have our hearts. Work can have our hearts. Relationships can have our hearts. Those are good things, but when those good things become first in our hearts, that's when Jesus gets pushed to the side. And so listen, here's a good way for you to see if you have a Jesus imposter in your heart. Are you willing to sin to get what you want? If you're willing to sin to get what you want, you've got an imposter in your heart. 
and it's stealing your joy. You know, maybe some of us are struggling to find joy today because we've given our hearts to something or someone other than Jesus. So friend, if that's you, fight for joy today by getting rid of the Jesus imposters in your heart. Which leads to a second way to fill your heart with joy. To fill your heart with the real Jesus. The best way to get rid of all those suspicious imposters among us is to cling to the real deal. Friends, Jesus is the real deal, and in him there is much joy. Maybe some of us are struggling to find joy because we're missing the real Jesus. Our hearts are fixed on social media. Our hearts are tossed to and fro by cable news. Or our hearts are longing for material things. Our hearts are just so occupied with short, with sports or shows or movies. Again, none of those things are necessarily bad, but are they distracting you from Jesus? Get rid of anything in your life that distracts you from the real Jesus and fill your hearts with him. I mean, Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we might have joy in him. So that we might see him as the greatest treasure that he really is. So we can get in his word. We can spend time in prayer. We can sing about Jesus, talk about Jesus, celebrate Jesus. If our hearts are full of the real Jesus, we'll have joy in life. One last way to fill your heart with joy is to fill your heart with Jesus' people, the church. You know, these commands here in verse 4 are in the plural. Paul is commanding the whole church to rejoice together. And we've seen this throughout the whole letter, haven't we? Paul is rejoicing over them. He wants them to rejoice over him. He's seeking his joy in theirs, and he wants their joy to be found in his. I mean, maybe some of us are struggling to find joy because our hearts are far from the people of God. You see, the all-surpassing joy of Jesus can actually be found in a very unlikely place, the church of Jesus. And so the church is not just an event to get your religious fix for the week. We're a family. And when our hearts are one together, there is much joy. So let's press into one another for our joy in Jesus. Let's set our hearts on Jesus so they might be full of joy. So hearts set on Jesus are hearts full of joy. Second thing we see is that their hearts full of gentleness as well. So Paul gives us the second command in verse 5. Listen, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So this verse is kind of the forgotten verse in this passage. I mean, you've got verse 4 there, which is this great verse about rejoicing in the Lord. Then you've got 6 and 7, which are great verses about not being anxious and going to the Lord in prayer and having peace. And then you've got this verse 5 here, right in the middle, kind of like the, the middle child that nobody pays attention to. But verse 5 is a great verse. You see, that word reasonableness in the ESV can actually be translated gentleness. My Bible actually has a footnote that says that's what it can be. They should have gone with gentleness. It's a better translation. Maybe you're reading the NIV and it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. 
You see, if there's one thing that the church of Jesus needs right now, it's gentleness. I mean, the world around us is anything but gentle. People are angry. People are frustrated. People are rude. People are self-serving. And we have the wonderful opportunity to be different and to let the gentleness of Jesus flow through us to others. One pastor says, gentleness is our superpower. It's our secret weapon against a world that is anything but gentle. In a world that's angry and rude, we're called to be gentle like Jesus is gentle. I mean, just think about this thing called cancel culture. You know what cancel culture is? It's when somebody does something that people don't like and they get canceled. Their social media followers all quit following them. Their TV show gets canceled. Their invitation to events gets canceled. Their books stop selling. Their stores get boycotted. I mean, we're so good at cancel culture that we even cancel the people who cancel other people. We're good at it. Aren't you glad Jesus is not like that? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't cancel you? You see, instead, Jesus allowed himself to be canceled so we might receive the blessings of his life and his love. Instead of condemnation, Jesus chose compassion, and he died to save the very people who reviled him. You see, because Jesus was canceled on the cross, he was able to cancel our debt of sin and rebellion, and his life is given to us as a free gift. I wonder if you've ever received the the free gift of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus. Do you know Jesus today? Do you know the gentle and lowly Savior? Not do you know about Him, do you know Him? If you're not a Christian today, we want you to know Him. We want you to know His love and His grace and His forgiveness. You see, he lived the life that you never could. He died the death that you deserve. And he rose again so that we might know him, might know the free gift of salvation. So if you've never repented of your sins and trusted Jesus, today would be a great day to do that. Come to Jesus today. You can can call on him right now where you're seated. Just come and save you. Jesus is gentle and lowly. He will not turn away any sinner who comes to him. So please don't leave here today without receiving the gift of salvation in Jesus. Because you see, it's only in Jesus that we can truly be gentle. Gentleness will never come from us. You can try and try and try to be gentle, but you'll still get frustrated at times. You'll still be grumpy at times. You'll still be selfish at times. But Jesus died to cancel our sin on the cross, and so he did it so that we might receive his gentleness. You see, it's only when the gentleness of Jesus becomes ours that we can let our gentleness be known to others. Pastor Scott Sauls says, You will never be able to give gentleness out until the gentleness of Christ comes in. When our hearts are full 
of Jesus, our gentle and lowly Savior. That's when our hearts can be full of gentleness. And notice the reason in verse 5 for why we should be gentle. He says, the Lord is at hand. Paul is probably referring here to the second coming of Jesus. The Lord is near. What's that got to do with being gentle? Pastor Ray Ortland says this, gentle people believe that Jesus is real. Gentle people believe that Jesus is real. You see, when the full, we're full of the gentleness that shows that we are actually believing in Jesus. When there's gentleness in our hearts and in our lives, it shows we believe that Jesus is real, that he really did die for our sins, that he really did rise from the grave, that he really is coming again. I mean, if Jesus is not real, then keep getting frustrated with everything in your life. If he's not real, then be grouchy and grumpy all the time. If he's not real, then keep criticizing and condemning other people. If he's not real, then keep being rude and condescending. But if Jesus is real, and he really is coming again, then he wants our gentleness to be known to all. So let's be the kind of people who believe that Jesus is real, and we show it by our gentleness. Let's show it to our kids when they disobey. Let's show it to our coworkers when they bother us. Let's show, us, show it to our spouse when they bother us. Let's be gentle people with people who have different political beliefs. Let's show our gentleness to people who wrong us, people who hurt us. You know, it can be really hard to be gentle sometimes. I mean, just this week, I had to apologize to my boys for saying hurtful things to them. It could be easy to shift the blame. Well, they were the ones not obeying, or they were the ones pushing my buttons. But in that moment, I did not look like Jesus. And in that moment, I was telling them Jesus is not real. So I had to confess my sins, I had to ask for forgiveness. I want them to see Jesus in me. I want them to see that he's real. I want them to see the gentleness of Christ in me. And so Jesus is my only hope. Jesus is all of our only hope. We will never be able to give gentleness out until the gentleness of Jesus comes in. And there's good news for us today is that the gentleness of Jesus has come in if you're his he gave it to us as a gift, and he wants his gentleness to flow through us to everyone that we meet. So let's set our hearts on Jesus so we may be full of gentleness. So hearts that are set on Jesus are full of joy, they're full of gentleness, and lastly, they're full of peace. Full of peace. Paul gives us the last command here in verses 6 and 7. He gives it in two parts. First, he gives the negative. Look at what he says. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Notice again, this is a command. Paul's not talking about personality. Well, I'm, I'm just an anxious kind of person. Paul is commanding us not to be anxious about anything. And don't let that discourage you today. 
I know many of us struggle with anxiety. Maybe all of us at some point struggle with something that we worry about. I mean, Paul himself said back in chapter 2, 28, verse 28, that he was anxious about his friend Epaphroditus. So it's not like there's all of these great Christians and then there's the rest of you guys who struggle with anxiety. Don't be discouraged. I mean, the very fact that God is commanding us not to be anxious shows that he knows that our hearts are anxious. And he's not frustrated with our anxieties. He's not wagging his finger at us when we worry. He's not rolling his eyes when he sees that we struggle with anxiety. What is God doing? Well, he's waiting with open arms for us to come to him. Just look at the rest of verse 6. Paul gives us the positive side of the command. He tells us what to do. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Paul doesn't say you better not come to God with your worries and your fears. No, he says fight your anxiety by bringing them to God. As it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It doesn't say cast all your anxieties on him because he gets really mad when you're anxious. No, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's like the old hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. And what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Notice here the kinds of prayer that Paul is calling us to. First, he says supplication. It's just a fancy word that means request. I mean, think about how amazing this is. The almighty maker of heaven and earth hears our prayers. The one who is higher than we can ever imagine is nearer to us than we could ever hope. And he wants us to bring our request to his throne of grace with childlike faith. Tim Keller says the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. Our Father in heaven wants us to bring our request to him. Because of Jesus, we have access to the throne of grace and the Father wants us to draw near. And maybe you're struggling with anxiety today. Listen, God knows. There may not be another person on the planet that knows. God knows. And what's his response to you? Oh, gosh, here comes that worry wart again. Man, I wish that person would just get it together. No, he says, come. Come to me. Draw near to me. Call upon my name. Make your requests known to a father who already knows what you need and who already wants to bless you. Notice the second type of prayer, thanksgiving. 
Paul wants us to make our requests to God and to make them with thanksgiving. Now, this is not some kind of name it and claim it where we're thanking God for that raise we're going to get at work or we're thanking him for that nice car he's going to get for us in the future. No, Paul has in mind a heart full of thanksgiving for the things God has already done. Because the truth is, God does not always answer our prayers, at least not in the way that we want. And so a heart full of thanksgiving shows that we see God's goodness in the past and we trust His goodness for the future. I mean, isn't that why we're anxious? Maybe not all of our anxiety, but a lot of our anxiety is mostly about struggling to trust God for our futures. I'm struggling to trust God that something bad won't happen to my family. I'm struggling to trust God that our finances won't fall apart. I'm struggling to trust God that I'm not going to be lonely the rest of my life. Thanksgiving helps us fight these anxieties. Because Thanksgiving reminds us that even if all these terrible things happen, God is still good and he's still worth trusting. I mean, Thanksgiving is fighting to see God's goodness in the past and trusting to see his goodness for the future. And if Christ really did die and rise again, then our future is incredibly bright. There may be suffering along the way, but there is an eternal weight of glory stored up for those who trust in Christ. I mean, even if all that we know in this life is suffering, one day we will wake to a life filled with the brightness and the goodness of Jesus. It will grow brighter and brighter each passing day forever. So let's set our hearts on the goodness of Jesus. Let's set our hearts on his grace and his love. Let's be the kind of people who cast our anxieties on him. The kind of people who run to the throne of grace when we are overwhelmed. The kind of people who overflow with thanksgiving when life is hard. Even when God seems hidden from us. Let's fight anxiety together by setting our hearts on Jesus. And when we set our hearts on Jesus, they can be full of peace. Notice what Paul says in verse 7. What happens when we set our hearts on Jesus with prayer and thanksgiving? He says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When our hearts are filled with trust in Jesus, they will be filled with peace. Paul calls it a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace we can't even explain. We can't even understand it. But it's a real peace. And it can really be ours. It's the kind of peace that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, this peace is so strong that it can even guard us from the fears and worries that easily come upon us. When our hearts are set on Jesus, they can be full of his peace. So do you know that peace today? Do you have the very peace of Jesus that passes all understanding? Maybe you've given up. Maybe you think that peace will never be mine. Maybe you've decided that you're just always going to worry. 
Maybe you feel like you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and God doesn't hear you. Or maybe worse, you feel like God doesn't care. Maybe you feel like this verse is just a sham. Friends, Jesus loves us. He really does love us. He died to prove his love for us. And he's still here. He's still here. He hasn't given up on us. He's not ready to walk out on us. He's not fed up with us. He's not just putting up with us. He really loves us. And he wants us to trust his love. He wants us to draw near to his love. He wants us to rest in his love. He wants us to find peace in his love. So so let's do that. Let's fill our hearts with his love. Let's fight anxiety by drawing near to his love. Let's be thankful for his love. And let's find peace in his love. So let's set our hearts on Jesus so they might be full of his peace. You know, last night I stood in this room and I prayed for you. I prayed for all of us. And I'm not saying that so you're like, wow, he's a great pastor. I'm saying that because I know at times my heart can be a mess. And I'm guessing your heart can be a mess too. Our hearts can be all over the place. Our hearts can be chasing the things of this world. Our hearts can be longing for things that won't satisfy. Our hearts can be restless. Our hearts can be frustrated. Our hearts can be anxious. Our hearts can be anywhere but on Jesus. So last night I prayed that our hearts would be on Jesus. This morning, all morning, I've been praying that our hearts would be set on Jesus. Right now, I'm praying for us that our hearts would be set on Jesus. I mean, brothers and sisters, if if we don't have Jesus, then what do we have? And what good is it to have Jesus if he doesn't have our hearts? So Jesus is the only treasure worthy of having our hearts. So let's be a church that sets our hearts on him. Let's be filled with unshakable joy as we set our hearts on Jesus. Let's be filled with unbelievable gentleness as we set our hearts on Jesus. Let's be filled with unimaginable peace as we set our hearts on on Jesus. Jesus is worthy. So let's give him our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. Even as the psalmist said in Psalm 4 that we read earlier, there's many who say, who will show us some good? God, maybe there's many here today whose hearts feel that way. Who who can show me some good in my life for once? And the psalmist says, Lord, lift up the light of your face upon us. So 
So Jesus, that's what we're praying right now, that the light of your face would shine on us. God, you've put more joy in our hearts through Jesus than when the grain and the wine abound. May that be true. God, may we rejoice in Jesus always, not because life is so good, but because Jesus is so good. Lord, we need his grace and his gentleness in our hearts so that it might pour out on others. So would you give us that today? Lord, for those who don't know Christ, might they come today to the first time to a gentle and lowly Savior, find forgiveness and redemption and eternal life and eternal love in Jesus. And so God, when in a world that's so angry and frustrated, may we exercise our superpower and let our gentleness be known to everyone. And Lord, give us more and more of Jesus so that we might be more and more gentle with our kids, with our spouses, with our friends, with our co-workers, with the world around us. And Lord, we pray for those who are anxious even right now. God, what a What a beautiful reminder it is to know that you're not mad at us. You're not fed up that we're still struggling with anxiety. But that you've got open arms and you say, come and let your requests be known. Come and cast your cares on me. So as the psalmist said, Lord, we need that peace. Both when we lie down and sleep, when we wake and when we live, Lord, would you give us the peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Got to pray for those who feel like these promises just aren't real. God, would you give them peace? Would you fill them with the love and the grace and the goodness of Jesus so that they might know his peace? God, would you give all of us that peace, Lord? And God, would you help us to set our hearts on Jesus? Today and tomorrow and the day after that, more and more each day, would you fill us with Jesus so that we might love him and honor him in all that we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.